40 years ago, when I was a youth minister in Irwin, Tennessee, we decided to take a church outing. Going to take a whole church group on a seven-mile hike on the Appalachian Trail. It was a mixed group of men, women, teens, children, to whom a seven-mile hike on a nice day sounded like fun. Turned out to be one of the longest days of my life. A lot of the hike was through heavy woods, but the trail was always clearly marked. If you've been on the Appalachian Trail, they have these blazons, you know, that they show you everything, where you're supposed to go. It's pretty hard to get lost. But it just seemed like there was an endless number of hills to climb, one after another, after another, after another. And uh, it got pretty tiresome. We stopped for lunch, but we still had a long way to go. We we're about out of food. Our water supply is running low. All the kids are now being carried by somebody, including me. You got these kids that were part of the youth group that are little kids, you know, and they're, they're all over me and just finding a way to get a ride, I guess. And some doubted that we were going to get to the end. It, it was uh, getting to that point, about two in the afternoon maybe, and, and some people suggested that we should maybe turn around and go back. It might be shorter than continuing because we're never going to get there. And some people said, well, let's turn off the path. I think the road's right up there. If we could just make our way up to the road, we could probably flag down a car and get some help, and that would be the end of the hike today. But Sheldon Thompson, one of the elders who was an experienced hiker, said, you know, we've got to keep going. I've seen the map. I know that our vehicles are not far away. The trail's clearly marked, and I've read the guidebook. Besides, I've hiked this trail many times myself, So follow me, and I'll get you safely home. And he went on. He says, I know you're tired. I know you're hungry. I know you want to quit. (laughs) But if we keep following the trail, we will all make it safely home. And he was right. About two hours later, we finally got there, finally climbed over that last ridge, and as we broke across the top of it, we could see the vehicles that the drivers had left there so that we could all get back to Irwin, Tennessee. Everyone cheered. (laughs) What a day. Can you imagine that in America today, there are many people who have never been around one of these? They've never had one of these. They've never looked at one of these. They really don't know what it's about. It may seem impossible if we grew up in a Christian home to imagine such a thing, but it is true nevertheless. There are thousands and thousands of people never touched a Bible, heard what it says for themselves. They don't know where it came from. They don't know the promises that God has made through it. They are totally illiterate, biblically speaking. And that's pretty amazing to me, that in a nation like ours, that is true. But it is true for thousands upon thousands. A big segment of our our, uh, community, of our world, of our population in America particularly think that the Bible is not really that important. It's just another silly religious book. They choose to ignore it or to ridicule it. To them, the Bible only matters to ignorant, overly emotional religious nuts like us. (laughs) And so they just don't have anything to do with it. I guess you know that truth itself is in trouble in America. Truth itself is questioned. People doubt it. People doubt what anyone else says is true. At least to many people, what someone says is true has little or no bearing 
on their lives. You know, they can believe whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. And maybe everyone, they think, has their own set of truths that they can live by. And if you want to change your truth, just find a new set next year. You know, go a different way next year, year after year. It doesn't matter. This is the day of relativity. This is the day of changing truth. This is the day of fake news or making the news whatever you want it to be. Many people think that there are no absolutes. There is no absolute unchanging truth in the world. This is the day when people get their information from places like Wikipedia, where if you really think about it, people can contribute to that. They can say whatever they want. They can add to it. They can edit any article of what someone else wrote. So you don't know whether it's true or not or totally falsified. How in such a world is someone to know what the truth is? Last week, I told you that Kevin Harney, the author of Organic Outreach, became a Christian as a teenager when a church youth group loved him like no one had ever loved him before. They accepted him as he was, warts and all, and then they poured their love into him. He was confused. He was overwhelmed by such love, such reckless love, and it was exactly what his heart of stone needed to come to faith in Christ. When Harney decided to follow Christ, he was baptized into Christ, and he was given a Bible. The man who gave it to him said, Kevin, you know, you're a Christian now, and you're expected to read this thing every day. Didn't tell him where to start, didn't tell him what it was about, just told him, here's a book, you're supposed to read it every day. And so he didn't know what to do except to start at the beginning like you do other books, and he devoured it. He just kept reading and reading, not understanding everything that was there, but just wanting to know, wanting to read it all. About two months later, he came up to the guy and says, well, now what do I do? And the guy said, well, how far did you get? And he said, I read the whole thing. <laughs> and the guy was amazed. He was really speechless. You know, this teenage boy read the whole Bible in those two months. And he said, well, go back and do it again. <laughs> that was the advice. And he said, you know, I've followed that advice my whole life for 30 years. I've just kept going back through the Bible over and over again. And each time I've read it, I've understood a little bit more. Each time I've gone through a passage that maybe I've seen 15, 20 times before, now I understand and see things that God is showing me in that moment. And I have found the same thing true in my life. Perhaps you have as well. I have never exhausted the treasures of the Bible. Have you? Have you ever found that, uh, uh, well, this is old stuff. This is, this is nothing new. Every time there's something new. Feasting on the Word of God almost daily now for 40-some years has shaped my life and my theology and my understanding of truth. And I believe that it is truly God's Word, a Word from God. It has revelations of truth and wisdom from God that no man could possibly come up with. Now, you may think that what you believe doesn't matter that much, but it does, because what you believe becomes who you are and what you do. We are going to read two main passages of the Bible this morning. They both come from Paul's second letter to Timothy. So if you want to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy or one of the Pew Bibles, please do that. We're going to read from chapters 3 and four, a section that actually follows upon itself, part of it in chapter three, part in chapter four. And the first thing we're going to read is from 2 Timothy chapter three, starting with verse 
14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now let's go back and look at this passage. I'm just going to leave it up there on the screen so you can kind of look through it with me this morning. Paul says, continue in what you have learned, which he learned from his mother and his grandmother, and also have become convinced of. It wasn't any longer his parents. It wasn't in a grandmother's word, you know, that this is what the scriptures mean. Now it had become what it means to him. He had embraced his mother's faith as his own. You have known the Holy Scriptures, he said, which are able to make you wise for salvation. In particular, Timothy had not only just known about God, but it has changed his life because in the new covenant, he had become a Christian and he had put his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Through the Bible, God has breathed his message into the world. He has revealed things to us that benefit us. Many, many things. You can't exhaust the number of things. And they are things that we could not have known without him breathing that word into this world. They are useful things. Things for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training. So that this word of God that God has given us encourages us and teaches us, but it also corrects us. And it's very important that we receive all of that because sometimes that's what God is really speaking to us. There is correction. There is discipline. There is, there is an action that God is looking for, a change that comes as a result of hearing that word from God. So that, Paul says, the servant of God, man or woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped to live for God and to love as God wants him to love. The second passage follows right on that, and it's chapter 4, the first five verses. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Again, look at this passage a little closer. Paul says Christ Jesus is going to come one day, not as Savior, but as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, as judge of this earth. One day, the living and the dead will be brought before him. In his day, when he comes and he appears this last time, a day of judgment is coming and it cannot be avoided. So I give you this charge, Paul says, to preach the word. And all of us, preacher or not, are sent out. To share the good news of salvation 
in Jesus Christ with other people. Correct, it says, rebuke, encourage other people, but do this with great patience and careful instruction. So whatever God's word for us has been given, to speak that word into the life of others, but to do it with compassion and carefully. For the time will come, I think the time has come, that people will not want to put up with sound doctrine. They will go with their itching ears and they'll find somebody saying what they want to hear preached. What, what message you know, tickles uh, their hearts so that they can continue listening to that and not be challenged, not be held accountable, not be corrected by the Word of God. And don't we see a lot of that today? We see a lot of the evangelists that may appear on the radio or the TV or the Internet. And you find a vast number of people teaching in a style or with words that people love to hear. You've got to feel good. You've got to have promises that you're going to be blessed physically or materially. And, and the words that are spoken oftentimes by the false teachers today tickle people's hearts so that they keep listening to that. But the teacher of God corrects and rebukes and encourages change in the lives of the people who hear that message. So you... Paul says, do the work of the evangelist. Do what God has called you to do. Say what God has called you to say. You know, many people today, even some Christians, like to discredit the Bible and say, this book is, is out of date. This book is old-fashioned. This book is too restrictive, and we're in a more enlightened time now. We're enlightened now, and we don't need the rules and the regulations that the Bible kind of holds over us and holds us in bondage. But I believe this is only man's foolish pride talking. Man thinking, I already know everything that I need to know. I already have all the answers I need. But let me ask you this. If man already knows what he needs to know, why is this world in such a big mess? You know, if man is so smart, if man is so enlightened, why does our world continue to be a place where many, many people are hurt, and many, many people are marginalized, and many, many people are, are you know, falling through the cracks because man doesn't have the answers, but this book does. The revelation of God does. Our beliefs come from the God who created us and then breathed the very words of Scripture. We dare not change them to suit ourselves. We can only live by them, and we must build our lives on this foundation that he has put out there for us this word of God, the Bible, and Jesus Christ. And you know what? The people that are around us that are, that are still confused, still uh, uh, unable to you know, live in the way that, that, that really uh, brings satisfaction to their lives, they're kind of watching us. People who are not Christians are actually watching us to see if we believe what we say we believe. That if we say we follow Jesus and we follow the word of God, is that true? Does that, is that borne out in our lives day after day? Devoid of truth and absolutes themselves. They are looking for someone who actually has convictions and moorings and a foundation. And why is that? Because people are in trouble. People are shipwrecked. Uh, you want to use that imagery? They're being tossed about on the high seas, looking for a refuge, a solid rock of some kind. They're adrift, and many of them would be happy to find someone 
who knows what they're talking about. Someone who is willing to speak truth into their lives without fear. All around them today is confusion and discord. Many different messages, many different messengers. It must be very confusing if you don't have a foundation. If you don't have a place to turn to, a guidebook to follow. And you're out there struggling. Blowing back and forth with the world on all the hot topics of today. You know what people say about homosexuality or transgenderism or drug abuse or abortion and so many different topics and battles are going on of ideologies and isms and they're looking for someone who knows the truth someone who stands their ground with confidence as Kevin Harney said in one place of his book he says it's time for followers of Jesus to adopt a posture of certainty about the Bible. We must humbly submit our lives to the teaching of Scripture with the confident assurance that it is the very Word of God and the authority for life. So what does this all have to do with organic outreach this morning? There are many people that want to say that everyone, or at least everyone, everyone uh, almost everyone, is going to be saved. There's, there's this this new kind of universalism. You know, universalism says eventually everybody's going to be saved. Eventually everybody will be able to be with God forever. Every, everybody will make it to heaven one way or another. And so they reject the term lost. They say that many religions are equally valid for helping us come to God. All we have to do is be sincere about our beliefs and we too will get there. Even some churches are teaching a new form of universalism, but we must reject this false teaching because these ideas fly in the face of the Bible. Some say it is arrogant and intolerant to teach that Jesus is the only way of salvation, but we just can't change what God said. Jesus himself said in John 14, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And the Bible is so clear about this, that there is one way for people to be saved, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. It may be unpopular. It may be politically incorrect to say Jesus alone can save us. But it is a scriptural truth that we cannot deny and still be the church of Christ and followers of God. By the way, the term lost is actually a very, very good term, I think. It's not a popular term. I encourage you to read from Luke 15 for yourself, where Jesus told three parables. There was a parable of a lost sheep. There's a parable of a lost coin. There is a parable of a lost son. They were all truly lost until they were found. And Jesus stated his life mission for us in Luke 19, 10, where he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And all of us at one time were lost. Now, I will admit that lost is probably not the best term to use when we first meet and interact with a lost person. And when we express God's love to them, we just don't go up to somebody, you know, and, and uh, you know, label them and say, you know, well, I'm John and you're lost. <laughs> You know, it's not probably not going to go over very well. 
But we must know and we must be convinced that that neighbor and that family member and that coworker and that fellow student and the ball player in our team and the bowler next to us in the next lane is lost without Jesus Christ because the Bible says and we believe Jesus is the only way. And if they are not a follower of Jesus, then they're not going to be saved. We have no confidence that there be any other way. And our certainty is that they need to know Jesus. And so we respond to them and we interact with them and we love them as people who are yet lost but can be found and can be saved. Speaking of hell today is a tough topic sometimes. People don't really want to talk about hell very much. Um, I told my wife she was in the nursery today. And I said, you're not going to hear my sermon on hell. And she said, well, I was so looking forward to that. <laughs> A little sarcasm there. But we need to speak about hell today. Is there really a place called hell where all people will suffer if they're lost? Most people like to believe in some kind of heaven. You know, people talk about going to heaven, no matter what their religion is. No matter if they have no religion, they still talk about heaven. But nobody really wants to talk about hell. But the Bible speaks emphatically about hell. And the message it speaks is sometimes difficult to hear and to accept. C.S. Lewis, who is a great defender of the faith from England, wrote about hell this way. He said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this. I would pay any price to be able to truthfully say, all will be saved. But he knew that was not true. And so he preached the truth, and we must preach the truth. It is not in our power to change what is. It is in our power to say what the truth is, what God has said. Unfortunately, the idea of a literal hell has been so ignored or avoided in the church in recent years that the majority of Christians act like hell doesn't exist or that it's not on the radar. Don't worry about it. Let's, let's just deal with today. Let's deal with daily life. Let's deal with our problems now. And very few people are willing to talk about hell. Perhaps they really don't think it exists or not the same way that maybe it's been described for them in the past. Some of us have been tempted to go along with that and say, you know, it's easier not to think about this. It's easier not to talk about this. It's easier to believe that there's some lesser form of hell. And there are preachers and teachers in the church today who say that hell exists, but it's not near what you might think it is. That it's only a temporary place. It's only a holding place until people can get their hearts right with God. A few years ago, there's a well-known pastor named Rob Bell who came out with a book that's called Love Wins. In this book, Bell said that God is such a God of love that his love will eventually trump his justice, his idea that everybody must, you know, the score must be settled, accounts must be settled, and that God would never, in his love, really assign people to hell forever. Instead, he said, God is going to put people in hell in order to basically scare the hell out of them. <laughs> basically to scare them so badly that they will, over a number of opportunities, repent 
and they will come to faith in hell, and God will rescue them out of hell. This was the point, this was the theme of this book called Love Wins. This is a bold-faced lie, and it's directly against what the Bible says. And I think he was appropriately removed as pastor of his church. As distasteful and as barbaric as eternal torture in hell may sound to us, we can only believe what the Bible says. Hell is a place reserved for the punishment of Satan and his angels who joined in his rebellion against God. And it is a place where anyone else who refuses to be with God will end up for eternity. And the worst thing about hell is not the fire and brimstone, as painful as that sounds, as gruesome as that looks in the pictures we've seen, uh, but of the removal of God for the, the uh, absence of God who is the life and light of mankind. Those who go there will experience a darkness like they've never experienced before, and they will experience the second death and eternal death. And we dare not sugarcoat what hell is. Instead, we need to wake up and realize that hell is very real. People will go there for eternity. In fact, it is where we were supposed to go. It is where all of us would have gone, except that Jesus Christ, and laid down, he came and laid down his life for us. And we have received him. We have accepted him. We have put our faith in him to save us. And so we are no longer destined for there, but for eternity with him in heaven. Jesus often spoke about hell. He often spoke about the coming judgment of all mankind. He spoke of it as a place of unquenchable fire where worms eating the flesh of the victims do not die. I mean, these, this, is, this is imagery that you really don't want to hear. He said it is a place of outer darkness where people will weep and gnash their teeth. Hell is a place where people have no access to God. And Jesus took the reality of hell very seriously. And so must we. And yet we find many Christians hold within their hearts the idea that in one way or another the people who have not heard about Jesus will be saved by some other means. Some Christians think that God's going to grade on a curve. <laughs> you know, like a, a teacher might do when the whole class does poorly on a test. Say, well, we'll just lower the bar. We'll lower the standard so that everybody can pass and everybody can get in, or at least most everybody. And God has never said that he would do that. There is no evidence in the Bible to suggest that. Heaven is real, and so is this awful, God-forsaken place called hell. Now, let me make an important point right here, an important note. And this is, this is the beauty. This is the joy. This is the good news of the good news, that God takes no pleasure in the death of lost people. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He'd rather it be completely vacant except for Satan and his angels who have, you know, have already shown that that's where they're headed. It's already been pronounced. The sentence is pronounced. And God wants everyone instead to be saved and to be with him in heaven. Ezekiel 33, 11 says this, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? And 2 Peter 3, 9, New Testament scripture says that God is not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And we know that God then wants everyone to be saved. 
He wants everyone to spend eternity with him. But here's the thing. God will not force us into submission. If we choose to reject him, if we choose to live apart from him, he accepts our decision to do so. And we get basically what we wanted, not all the niceties that we thought we were going to get, but to choose to reject God means you will not have God. And that is hell. God created each of us with free will, the freedom to choose good or evil, and we can choose life with God or life without God. And if there is freedom to choose these things, true freedom, then, then it makes sense that there must be consequences to those choices. And God has decided that those are eternal consequences. Now, we can do a lot to help the people around us, and we must, if we believe. And the whole question for you this morning is this, do you really believe these things? Do you really believe that there is a heaven and a hell? Do you really believe that someone who does not have Jesus is destined for hell when they die? Do you really believe that the loved one or the neighbor or the coworker or the fellow student or the person that you know somewhere else here in this community who does not know Jesus will be lost if they die before they come to Jesus? Because if we truly believe that, then it will change the way we love and the way that we live. And we will want to know how we can possibly share Jesus with them, how we can possibly spread the love of God in their lives so that they will turn to Jesus and experience salvation as we have. You know, we too must keep an attitude that we are sinners saved by grace. You know, we do not deserve to be saved. We never did anything to achieve what we've been given. But by God's grace, we are now in a new place, in a new position with God, and we are destined for heaven, not hell. We're more like the beggar that just tells other beggars where to get bread. <laughs> That's about it. We found the answer, but they can have the answer too. And if we keep that attitude, it really changes the way that we approach people. If there is a heaven and a hell, and there is, and if everyone will spend eternity in one place or another, and they will, how can we not lead people to Jesus? For Jesus alone can change their eternity. The fact is, we're either leading people to heaven or to hell by our words and our actions and our character. We're either telling them about the only Savior that any of us can have, or we're telling them, in essence, that they're okay without Him. You know, it doesn't matter. And how could we possibly think it doesn't matter? If someone was about ready to fall off a cliff because they were blind and they didn't know any better, the loving thing to do would be to warn them and try to prevent them from falling off that cliff, right? And in our wildest imagination, we could never experience this. You see this person you know, you know, kind of teetering towards that edge, unaware of what is happening, and, and just look the other way and say, well, that's their problem doesn't concern me. In our wildest imagination, it would never be okay to walk away from them saying, well, everyone has a right to, to believe whatever they want to believe and to do whatever they want to do. I can't interfere. I can't try to influence them. It's impossible to imagine that if we were standing on that cliff with that blind person, that we could walk away. And the reality is no less dire Someone is blind, 
we need to warn them. If someone is lost, we need to tell them how to get safely home. And so I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for my own heart, which is sometimes hard and callous toward people. I want to pray for your hearts. Maybe they're hard and callous sometimes toward people. I want to pray for my own attitude and my actions. I want to pray for your attitude and actions. I want to pray uh, for my own schedule and how busy I get with other things and I zip right by somebody who's lost or I don't take the time for them or I don't even realize who's lost and who isn't because I don't know them that well. And I want to pray for you when you do the same thing. And I want to pray that this will not just be a message and say, boy, that was hard to hear. I didn't want to talk about hell. I didn't want to hear about hell. But this will be a message that God uses to change us, to change our hearts, to change our actions. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you that um, you have a way in your word to get into our lives, into our hearts like no one else. That, that I, I hope that there will be many people here today that feel like, they just got confronted by your word. They just got nudged really strongly. Maybe, maybe it was stronger than that. And I know I feel it, Lord. I, I know that uh, changes need to happen in my life and in the lives of, of my brothers and sisters here. And I pray that we're willing to make those changes. We are so busy, so um, encumbered with things of life here in this region that often that's our excuse then to not really take time or not be involved in the lives of the people around us. But all around us, Lord, are hurting people, people that are lost, truly lost. We're not going to tell them that. We're not going to make a big deal about it when we first meet them. But Lord, as we invest time in their lives, as we hear their stories, as we understand their circumstances and we understand their need for you, it's going to call forth a lot of things from us. Um, it's going to take energy. It's going to take thought. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take time. Uh, there are going to be some sacrifices involved, Lord, and, and you know, we push that back. We resist that. I pray that you would break down that resistance in my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters here at New Hope. And I pray, Lord, that this thing called organic outreach will truly be natural as, as we live out our convictions. We have these convictions. We, we sing about them. We speak them so willingly, so confidently. But the way we live is, is different than that sometimes. And so I pray today, Lord, that, that you would speak to us today in such a way that there would be a changed life in each of us as a result. Lord, help us to stand upon your word, build our lives upon that foundation, and through your love and grace, be able to approach the people around us who are not yet your followers, not yet destined to be with you forever. Help us to be mindful, to have your heart for them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We have